0: Chapter 4, Concern vs. Worry, from the book What If, How to Kill Worry and Anxiety Before They Kill You. This is Caleb Suko, the author, reading. The year I graduated from high school, I decided to move from under my parents' comfortable care in a nice suburban home to the jungles of South America for six months. For me, the thought of living with the natives in palm bark huts, sleeping in a hammock and trekking through dense jungle sounded exciting. The fact that there could be man-eating snakes, wild natives and strange jungle diseases made the whole thing sound even more adventurous to me. Although I looked forward to the adventure and wasn't really too worried about the possible risks, I never stopped to consider what my parents, especially my mom, might be thinking. After all, she was sending her barely 18-year-old son halfway around the world to a place where he could well be eaten by an alligator. It wasn't until I got back from my six-month adventure that it even dawned on me that my mom could have been worried for my safety. Shortly after I came home, the local newspaper wanted to do a story on my trip to the jungle. I willingly gave them an interview and shared how I had gotten lost in the jungle one day gone on a monkey hunt, and traveled by myself through half of South America. After I shared a bit of my story, the reporter turned to my mother and asked, didn't you worry that something might happen to your son? My mother's response was simple. She said, no, because I knew that God was in control. As simple as my mother's response was, it's not always so easy in practice. I'm sure she was tempted to worry, to wonder what I was up to, and what possible dangerous situation I might be in so far from her ability to help in any way. This was before the age of the internet, so I couldn't just get on Skype to let her know how things were going. There were weeks between communications. In situations like these, it can be difficult not to worry. When you love and care for someone, it's only natural to be concerned with their well-being. Although my mother was concerned with my well-being, she didn't let her concern get the best of her and turn into worry or anxiety. The reason she was able to avoid the worry was because she trusted in a God who was greater than she, a God who had the ability to keep me safe when she couldn't. There is no solid line that divides healthy concern from unhealthy worry. So how do we know when thoughts about the everyday stuff of life turn from constructive attention into futile worry? After all, we still need to think about the possibilities of the future. We need to make plans. We need to care for our safety and the safety of others. When done properly, these things are good to think about and create healthy patterns in our mind. As with any sin, worry is a perversion of something that was originally good. So how do you know when you're planning has crossed the line into worry or when your concern for safety has gone overboard and turned into an unhealthy fear i like to use the word concern to convey the positive aspects of focusing on a potential problem with the intent to solve it in a beneficial way on the other hand i use the word worry to convey the negative aspects of fretting over the future I have found that God's word also gives us a similar dichotomy. In the New Testament, the Greek word merimna is often translated as worry. We've already looked at the negative side of that word in chapter 3. Now, we are going to look at the positive side. When used positively, the same word is often translated concern. Let's examine three passages where Paul uses this word to mean something other than worry. The words in bold are the English translation of the Greek word "merimna." I want you to be free from concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the things of the Lord, that is, about how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the things of this world, that is, about how he can please his wife and so his attention is divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the affairs of the Lord so that she may be holy in body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, that is, how she can please her husband. 1 Corinthians seven thirty-two 32-34. In this chapter Paul is writing about marriage and in particular whether or not singles should marry or stay single. When he tells his readers that he wants them to be free from concerns in verse 32 he isn't talking about worry in a negative sense rather he is comparing the life of a married person and an unmarried person. Paul is simply pointing out that once you get married you have to care for your spouse and this will take your time and attention. However, if you remain single, you have the unique opportunity to completely focus your time and energy on ministry and serving the Lord. Paul is not saying that a married man or woman cannot serve or please the Lord, but rather that they are limited in the time and energy they can give because they have a responsibility to care for their spouse as well. Thus, marimna is used positively in this passage. It communicates the normal care and concern that every married person should exhibit toward their spouse. It also tells us of the attention that an unmarried person can devote to serving the Lord. That there may be no division in the body. That the members may have the same care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 in the verse above we find merimna in reference to the members of the body of christ caring for each other the point paul is making is that we ought to be more concerned with serving and loving our brothers and sisters in christ than with our own personal gain for i have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare philippians 2:20. in this final verse Paul speaks of Timothy's deep love and care for the church in Philippi. It is clear that Timothy's genuine interest is a positive quality. To sum it up, we can say that on the positive side, the Greek word merimna communicates the following: attention and care for your spouse, 1 Corinthians 7:32-35; focus on serving the Lord, 1 Corinthians 7:33-34 love and concern for other members of the church 1 Corinthians 12:25 Philippians 2:20 It's not difficult to see that when merimna is used in a positive way there it indicates an unselfish and others oriented focus It shows genuine concern and care for others and for the Lord Genuine concern and care for others is an attribute that we must cultivate in our lives. When we begin to exhibit this kind of positive concern, it naturally helps us to overcome the negative aspects of worry and anxiety. Let's look at the differences between genuine concern and worry. Here are eight characteristics of genuine concern. 1. It is focused on others. 2. It motivates us to serve. 3. It promotes constructive action. 4. It is welcomed by others most of the time. 5. It is driven by love. 6. Its goal is to help. 7. It strengthens relationships. 8. It is tempered with faith. And now let's look at seven characteristics of worry. One, it is self centered. Two, it wastes time and energy. Three, it is not welcomed by others. Four, it is driven by fear. Five, it doesn't have a goal. Six, it tends to weaken relationships. Seven, it overwhelms faith with doubt. One of the most striking differences between these two uses of the word marimna is the fact that genuine concern is always focused on others, but worry is not. In fact, worry is one of the most selfish activities we can engage in. At first, it might not seem like worry is self-centered. After all, we worry about others, parents worry about children, wives worry about husbands, boyfriends worry about girlfriends and so on how could that be self-centered when genuine concern crosses over the line and becomes worry it ceases to be motivated by love and instead is motivated by fear when fear becomes the main motivator the concern is no longer the well-being of the other person but rather a desire for control and safety the worrier is infatuated with his own fear. His main concern is doing everything possible to assuage the fear that is attacking his mind and heart. The well-being of the other person is really secondary to the pursuit of security for the warrior himself. In tough times, genuine concern asks, how can I help you? But worry asks, what will I do if something happens to you? can you see the shift in focus from you to I? How can you know if you have crossed the line from genuine concern into the realm of worry? For starters, I'd suggest taking a look at the seven characteristics of worry I just gave. If one or more of these factors tend to describe your thinking, then your concern might be turning into worry. If three or more describe you, then you are most likely engaging in worry. Sometimes it's also helpful to ask ourselves a few good questions to determine whether or not we are worrying. Take 15 minutes to carefully consider and write out the answers to the following questions. Can I stop thinking about it whenever I want? Does it keep me up at night? Does it keep me or others from doing things that need to be done? Is it sometimes hard to concentrate on other things when I need to? Friends, thank you for listening to chapter four from my book, What If, How to Kill Worry and Anxiety Before They Kill You. If you don't have a copy of the book, you can find it on Amazon. Just search for the title of the book, What If, How to Kill Worry and Anxiety Before They Kill You. You can search for my name, Caleb Succo, and you can find it there. And if you're not connected with us online, I encourage you to go to sukofamily.org. We do have a newsletter that we sent, send out fairly regularly. You can find that at sugofamily.org slash pray if you would like to sign up for that. We appreciate it. And I hope that this was a blessing to you.